sense, it's lost its, its majesty. That it doesn't, it doesn't just ring as powerful as it used to. And for many people, that is exactly what happens with Christmas. You know, we've heard the story like a kajillion times, right? I mean, we know the story about the shepherds who were in the field and the angels came and the angels declared that the Son of God had come and he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And we know the story about the wise men, how they were able to find Jesus. You know, you know, how were they able to find him? Big, big star in the sky. So we, we know that story. We know that whenever Joseph and Mary went into Bethlehem, for Jesus to be born, they were looking for a place to stay, but they couldn't find anywhere to stay because, you know, we know the story. There was no room for them in the end. And it's an incredible story, but when you've heard it so many times, it just sort of loses its majesty. And so my hope is today that as we are looking at the miracle of the manger that we're going to see today, that, that even though that is a story that took place so long ago, and it's a story that we've heard so many times, that it is a story... That still matters today. And it's a story that still transforms and changes lives today. And so today in our passage of scripture, we're going to see the Gospel of John share with us a few miracles from the manger. Now the story of Christmas is more than just a little baby being born. You know, the, the, the story of Christmas and Christmas itself, it's more than us being able to get off of work for a couple of days and being out of school for a couple of weeks. It's more than that. It is a story that still impacts lives and still changes people's futures. And so that's why we're going to look in John chapter 1 in verse number 1 in a few moments. And I'd like to start off by, by telling you this. Whenever, whenever Emily and I got engaged, uh, she was a senior in college at Furman. I was, a, let's see, I was a first year seminary student living in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And so the distance between the two was a, was a four and a half hour drive. Now the way that we were able to communicate with each other, because it was hard for us to get together very often, is you know, we, would, you know, we would talk to each other on the phone quite a bit. Of course, back in those days, in the old days, we actually used to write letters to each other. And I remember I'd get a letter from her. I'd be excited to get a letter from her. And I'd read it. This is the way that we were able to communicate. But the best kind of communicating that we did was whenever we were able to get together and see each other face to face. Now, in a sense, that is Christmas. You know, for, for years, people have been able to communicate with God, to talk with God. They did so in prayer. They were able to read God's Word and see what God had to say to them. But Christmas changed everything because on Christmas, what God did is God said, from now on, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a face-to-face with my people. And so he sent Jesus into the world in order to have a face-to-face with his people. And we're going to see the impact of the manger. We're going to see the miracle of the manger. So what, what are some of the miracles of the manger? Well, there's a couple of things I want us to see. The very first miracle of the manger that I see is the manger is a miracle because it was God speaking to us. And that's what the manger is. The manger is God speaking to his people. And if you look in verse number 1, uh, 1 and 2 in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. And so if you look back there, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, it's sort of a strange sentence there, but the, the word, Word, in our 
text, it means to put words together. It means to speak. So, so what is the word? Well, we're, we're given the identity of the word when we're told, and the word was God. So who was the word? Well, if you go down into John chapter 1, verse number 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his and took up his residence among us. And so that's what happened at Christmas. The Word became flesh. God came into our world in flesh in the form of Jesus. Now, you have to understand that was tremendously significant. And it was significant because at this time, God's people had not heard a word from God. God had not spoken to His people through a prophet for over 400 years. The last prophet to speak a message to the people of Israel was a man named Malachi. And then all communication descended. Now, why did that happen? Well, the reason why it happened is because God's people, they, they liked to pay lip service to God, but their hearts didn't belong to God. They acted like they wanted to follow after God, but the way that they were living by their actions, they really didn't care a whole lot about God. And so God cut off communication with them. And you know, if you love somebody, and you care for somebody, and then when you quit communicating with each other, it's difficult. And it's, it's hard not to hear from someone that you love and that you care about. And yet that's what had happened for 400 years. Now, it's not that God had quit talking to his people. It's that his people had quit listening to God. So God said, you don't want to listen to me? Then I'm going to let you have your way. And so he quit speaking. And what happened is the people went their own way. And what followed, you know, you can read the Old Testament. You know, what followed is there was destruction. There was devastation. Israel lost their independence. There were nations that ran through there, taking the place over. And so after a period of time, the people, they start coming to their senses. They're like, God, help us. And they began to call out to God. And they cried out to God. And whenever they did that, God began to speak again. And he spoke again in John 1.1. By sending his son, Jesus, as the very word of God. He put on human flesh to identify with people. He put on human flesh in order to give people hope again. Now, sometimes we wonder, does, does God suspect? Does God understand what's even happening in this world? Does he even know what it's like to live? Yes, absolutely. He knows what it's like to live because, because he did live. He came here on that very first Christmas, but he lived differently than, differently than we did. He lived perfectly. He lived without sin. He was a man who lived without flaws. And he was letting us know that he was worthy of us placing our trust in. He was letting us know that he was the Son of God and that all authority belonged with him. Now, that's why we live whenever we sing and whenever we talk about Jesus, we speak of him as being the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is his authority that makes him different than everybody else. He has the authority of God behind him. There's a story of uh, Emperor Napoleon riding his horse. And he came up to inspect his troops. And as he was inspecting his troops, his horse started to bolt. And whenever it began to bolt, there was a private who was up in the front line. And he reached over and he grabbed the reins and he pulled the horse over. Napoleon looked at him and he said, Private, thank you very much. You're not captain. The guy was absolutely shocked. And so he went back to his camp later on. He told his friends he was now a captain. Now, of course, being the good friends they were, they laughed at him. He said, there's no way. You're a captain. He said, and who said that you were a captain? He said, Napoleon did. 
When they heard Napoleon said it, they knew it was true. You know why? Because he has authority. And whenever he speaks because of his authority, they know that it's true. Y'all, we know, we know that what Jesus says is true. We know that what Jesus says has meaning and power behind it. Why? Because of his authority. He is the spoken word of God. And that's the miracle of the manger. The first miracle of the manger is that the manger is God personally speaking to us. But here's another miracle of the manger. The manger signified his authority. Verse number three, it says, All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Okay, I'm going to ask you all a question. This is where you all get to answer here. If you look back at the very beginning of verse number three, have you ever, what, what does it say at the beginning of verse number three? All things were created through him, right? Okay, now if you go back to the very first verse, verse number one, what does it say there? Very first words. In the beginning. Okay, now for those of you who are Bible scholars, where have you heard that phrase, in the beginning, before? Genesis 1-1. That's always a great one. If you ever said, somebody says, do you know any Bible verses? We typically go, yeah, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. Okay, now in the beginning, what, what did God do in the beginning? Genesis 1-1. What follows that? He created the heavens and the earth, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's, there's, there's something shockingly similar here. Verse number one, in the beginning, and then you go down to verse number three, what did he do in verse number three? It says, all things were created through him. You know what John's trying to do here? He's establishing the idea of who is in that manger. You know who's in that manger? Creator. Creator God. The God of Genesis 1-1 is, is the same God of, Je of John 1-1. Now, now, most scholars will, will tell you that Jesus is a significant historical figure. So, yeah, he's, he's a significant guy. John is letting us know right here he is more than just another man. In John 1, 1, he's letting us know Jesus is more than a good teacher. He is more than just a prophet. In John 1, 1, he is saying Jesus is the very Son of God. And he doesn't want us to miss out on the kind of authority that the child in the manger had. Jesus holds the very power of God. That the same God who created the earth in Genesis 1, 1 has the exact same kind of power in John 1, 1. And now why is that significant? Well, it's significant for this reason. Because if God is the creator of all things, and all things exist through him, then that changes everything. I mean, think about it. Genesis 1-1, if it's true, and here's the deal. I believe that it is true, then it means that there is a God. And if there is a God, if there really is a God, you know what that means for us? We're going to be held accountable. We're going to be held accountable for the way that we live. We're going to be held accountable for what we do with our lives. Now, I really believe this. I believe that's why a lot of people do not want to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why people, we, we would rather say that we are God than that there's an actual God. Because if I'm a God, if I'm in charge of my own life, I get to choose what I want to do, then that means I'm not going to be held accountable by anybody except for by myself. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I hold myself accountable, I tend to be rather mean. I tend to look at myself and say, yes, Eric, once again, you were right. 
I have a streak going. I mean, I'm, I'm right all the time. Now, that's what happens whenever I am God. I hold myself accountable. But when I look at Scripture, it says Jesus is God. Then the manger is just simply another piece of evidence for us that God is creator. And I said, well, how is that supposed to be bring me comfort? Well, if it means that God is creator, then it means that he has authority. And if he has authority, then he has all power. Then it means that what he says is true. It means that what he promises is actually going to happen. It means that there is nothing that can thwart the promises and the plans that God gives for our lives in Scripture. And what does God tell us in Scripture? Well, Hebrews 6, 18 and 19. It says, so that, true, uh, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope before us. Set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for our lives, safe and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtains. Now, now, one of the most important things that you and I can do in our lives is to make sure that when we invest our lives in something, knowing that it's worth investing in, knowing that I invest myself in doing something, in living for something, that I'm going to get a return on my investment. And so in our text, we are encouraged to invest ourselves in that which is true. And that which is going to always pay the is Jesus. Now, a lot of times we think that we just want to invest in ourselves. You know, I want, to, I want to invest in happiness no matter the cost. I want to invest in my own pleasure, regardless of what other people think. And then that sounds good, but here's the deal. If we invest in the things of this world, we have to understand that it might satisfy you for a little bit, but the things of this world are passing. The things of this world are temporary. I mean, here's what we know about life. You live, you die. And that's it. That is a very limited time span. And if we just simply think of this world, guys, our, our wisdom is it's very short-sighted. We're told this in 1 Corinthians 1.25. Because God's foolishness it is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Now, you know, as smart as people are, as wise as people are, it's all temporary when you stack it up against who God is. You know, if you're looking, if you're looking to live right, if you're looking to make good decisions in life, I believe the best thing that you can do is go to your maker to find out how to do it. To find out how to live. I read an article a couple of weeks ago about monarch butterflies. So I wasn't looking it up, I just came across it. And uh, it was just real interesting. I didn't know this. Butterflies actually, they migrate. And every year they migrate from the United States and Canada and they fly down to Mexico. And so they, they fly down, and whenever they go down to there, I mean, it's like millions and millions of butterflies make this journey. And when they do it at the same time of year, they arrive at the same mountain, the 1st of November, right on the 1st of November, every year. There's so many of them flying, they said that you can, you can hear their wings beating. And whenever they land in trees, there's so many of them that the limbs bend. Isn't that amazing? There's just a ton of these modern butterflies. So they're trying to figure out how in the world do they... How in the world do they always get to the same place at the same time every year? So some scientists got some of these monarch butterflies. They knew that they had something to do with the antennas. And so what they did is they, they took a couple of them, or one section of them, one group of them, and they painted the antennas black. And then the other ones, they put a clear polish on the antennas. The ones whose antennas were painted black, they, they got lost. They had no idea where they were going. 
Though once with a clear polish on their tennis, they were able once again to fly down into Mexico in that one area at the beginning of November. And what they discovered is the antenna serve as like the GPS system. And what they're doing is they are simply, their antenna is focused in, honed in on the sun. And so as they follow the sun, they were able to arrive at the destination they wanted to get to. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Whenever we follow the sun, the Son of God, we arrive at the destination that we want to get to. Now, you want to navigate well through life, then it's real simple. You follow the Creator. You follow the God of Genesis 1-1, who is the same God of John 1-1. So what's the miracle of nature? It's God personally speaking to us. The miracle of nature is that it signifies authority. So it's who's in the manger? The Son of God. And then this is the last thing I want us to see. Another miracle of nature is this. The manger brings hope. The manger brings hope for mankind. Verses 4 and 5. It says this about Jesus. It says, Light was in him. And that light was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness. Yet the darkness didn't overcome him. Because the question is, well, what's darkness? What, what does it mean? What does darkness mean? Darkness means the absence of light. Now, if there is an absence of light, that has an effect on you if you were living in the darkness. It means you can't see where to go. You know, if you're living in the darkness, it means that you're going to stumble. If you're living in the darkness, and if you have children and you walk into the rooms, you're going to step on things that you don't want to step on, right? So that's what darkness is. Now, spiritually, the Bible says that we are all in darkness. Every one of us. Now, now why are we in darkness? Well, the Bible tells us that we are born into sin. It is our nature to be rebellious. Well, we're told in Ephesians 2.3, we are by nature objects of God's wrath. I, I think this verse is interesting. Ephesians 5.8 says that we are darkness. Now, here's what's interesting to me about Ephesians 5.8. It doesn't say that we are in darkness. It says we are darkness. What's up with that? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. You can understand. It is our nature to rebel. So you think, well, it's not my nature. Yeah, it is too. It is, it is my, I, it's about me too. It, it is my nature to be defiant. You tell me what's good for me, you have to do this. I don't care if it is good for me. I will not do that. Uh, did y'all see the story the other day about the kid that got pulled over uh, driving this Mustang in Oklahoma going 208 miles an hour? Did y'all see that? I've got a Mustang. It's like, man, no, not that fast. Okay, now, so that's a kid. The speed limit was 65. Do you think he knew that? I guarantee you he knew that. But he's going to be defiant. I'm going to be driving today. I'm going to try not to be defiant because I'm driving. All right, but that's yeah, our nature. I see, I see a limit, and I think, I don't want to do that. Okay, the Bible is very clear. We are all this way. We are all by nature defiant to God. But then something happened on the very first Christmas. What happened on the very first Christmas? Well, we're told in verse number four again. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. We're darkness. Jesus came, and he brought light. What does light do? It points out, obviously, if, you, if you're walking around 
and it's dark and the lights come on, what happens? You're able to see where to go. You're able to see what to avoid. That is who Jesus is. Jesus came here in order to bring hope to people who were living in darkness. Now, when we talk about hope, the hope of Jesus, we're not talking about the, uh, the I sure hope that happens kind of thing. Now, again, thinking about Emily, whenever Emily, the, she, we have three children, whenever she, whenever she was pregnant all, all three of those times, it's not like she became pregnant. And I said, man, I hope we have a baby. You're like, I hope that's going to happen. You know, we, we knew it was going to, right? We know it's going to happen. It's not like it was like, well, that was strange, nine months of nothing. I mean, it was like nine months, and then there's a baby coming, and we can't wait to meet the kid. Now, that's the kind of hope that Jesus brings. Jesus says, I have a life for you. I have, I have forgiveness for you. It's not like you say, I hope you'll actually give it to me. It's like I'm expecting it. I just can't wait for it to happen. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came in order to pay for our debt of sin that we can't pay for because we are darkness. But Jesus says, I am coming because I am light and I can eradicate your sin. But it doesn't just happen. There has to be a time whenever we surrender ourselves and turn our barren bank account over to God and say, God, I can't pay it. Will you pay it for me? See, Jesus is the payment for us. That's, what, that's a miracle of nature. You know what happens whenever you receive Jesus and you follow him? In John 1.12, if you have your Bible, you can skip on down there. It says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To all who believe in his name. Now, now what do children receive from their parents? They, they receive love. They receive a shelter. They receive you know, food. They receive an inheritance. Jesus, that's what Jesus does for us. He comes to bring us into God's family so that we can receive the love of God, so that we can receive an inheritance of eternal life from God. Now, whenever your life is dominated by seeking after the things of this world, then you're going to be so disappointed. Because the things of this world are never going to satisfy. Again, because the things of this world are temporary. This world is slowly passing away. But God, He is eternal. And he brings us hope that is beyond this life. I read a, an interesting story about three psychiatrists from Germany during World War II. Uh, one of them was said Sigmund Freud. These are all Jewish psychiatrists, so they're Sigmund Freud. And Sigmund Freud came up with this theory, you know, what is it that man is seeking after? What is his chief motivation in life? And his theory that man's, was, man's chief motivation in life was to experience pleasure. That everything we do, it is all motivated by us being able to have pleasure in our lives. There's another psychiatrist, his name was Alfred Adler, and his belief was that that, that was not true. He did not believe that pleasure was the main motivator for man, and he, he believed it was power. He said everything that man does is to receive power. Everything that man does, he is motivated by the hope of receiving more so that he can be in charge. Well, there's a, a third psychiatrist. His name is Victor Frank. Now, World War II is coming along. The Nazis had taken control of Germany and Austria. Uh, Sigmund Freud and Adler were able to escape, but Victor Frankl was caught and he was put in a concentration camp where he stayed for four years. When he came out of that concentration camp after four years, he disagreed with Sigmund Freud and Alfred Adler. He said, man's chief aim and motivation in life is not... He says, not pleasure. So when I was in that concentration camp, because you'd be surprised at, at who survived. 
and why they survived. He said they did not survive because they were looking for pleasure. So there was no pleasure there. So that was not the motivating factor for them. He said it wasn't power. He says we're in that concentration camp. He said none of us had any power. So we were helpless and there was nothing that we could do. He said we, we were not motivated to push on and survive so that one day we might be in charge. He said the great motivator for man is hope. He said every one of us that survived, he said we had a hope that our lives mattered. We had a hope that our lives could be better. We had a hope that there would be change. He said that was the driving force to survive. You know, the miracle of the manger is that Jesus gives our lives meaning. You matter. Your life has purpose. There is a reason for you being here. You are not a cosmic accident. Jesus placed you here for a reason. And that's why God entered into our world. He put on flesh. He identified with us so that we might have the opportunity be able to be in the family of God, to be reconciled to God. See, the manger is, is more than just a story about a baby being born. It is a story of redemption. It is a story of reconciliation. It is a story of hope being provided for man. So as we celebrate Christmas today, y'all, it's, it's, more, it's more than gifts. It's more than food. It's more than time off from work. more to life than what you are living today. There will be a day when we will stand before God and because of who He is, because of the authority that He has, we will be held accountable for how we have lived. For what decision we made concerning Jesus Christ. Have you received the miracle of nature? The hope of Jesus. If you haven't, Thank you.